0: I want to speak today about confidence in times of challenge because I think for lots of us we're facing real challenges at the moment. Maybe it's the roller coaster ride of the last year that we've had, maybe still recovering from some of the losses that we suffered in the last 12 months and maybe we're still kind of adjusting to whatever the new normal might be. But at the same time, I feel from having spoke to a number of you over the last couple of weeks, lots of us feel this sense of kind of hope, this sense that there are real opportunities for us as a church to kind of respond to what's going on in our city, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools, in our universities, amongst our families, amongst our friends at this time. So how do we do that? How do we respond to all the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead of us with confidence. Well, I feel like one of the keys is for us to understand and experience afresh today the reality, the truth, the significance of an event that took place almost 2,000 years ago, and which often passes by unnoticed even within the church. Perhaps one of the most overlooked events in the history of the world, the significance of Jesus's ascension into heaven. And the first thing we see in this passage, the first thing the ascension tells you is that you have a close friend in the highest place. And in this passage, we're told that Jesus, after his suffering, presented himself to the disciples, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. He was teaching them. He was training them. He was eating with them. He was hanging out with them. And it must have been an extraordinary time. After the trauma of Jesus' death, and seeing that, and living through that, and then Jesus to, to, to resurrected Jesus just to be hanging out with you, having food together, chilling out. Jesus, what do you really think about this? What do you really think about that? Tell us more. It must have been such an exciting time for the disciples, as he promised the Holy Spirit was going to come, telling them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking about the kingdom of God. Remarkable. And who wouldn't feel confident? Who wouldn't feel full of hope and full of faith with the risen Jesus right there in your midst, right there next to you? But here's the thing. They're just about to face a time of extraordinary opportunity and huge challenge. They're going to see whole towns and cities turned upside down. They're going to see thousands of people come to faith in God. They're going to see miracles. They're going to see people healed. But they're also going to be humiliated and excluded and arrested and imprisoned and beaten and even face death. All that is about to kick off. And yet Jesus is leaving them? Why is he leaving them? I mean, if I was them, I'd be tempted to say, just hang out for a bit longer. You know, there's no rush. You've got plenty of time. There's no rush. Just hang out a bit longer. Let get us started. Give us three months. Three months. Just first, a few, first few crises, first few difficulties. Give us a year. You know, get us up and running. Get everything established. Get the distribution network in place. Then you can go. But now, right at this critical time, when they're probably feeling full of hope, ready to take on the world, Jesus says, He's going to leave, and then he leaves. Why? Well, Jesus says in John 16, it's for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good. Jesus leaves only if it's better for them, only if it's better for you. You see, Jesus doesn't just rise from death to life. He ascends from earth to heaven. He doesn't just ascend into the sky. He ascends to the throne, to his throne, the throne of the majesty in heaven. He sat down at the right hand, of the majesty of heaven right there at the control center of the universe, ruling and reigning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's Lord. Now there's lots we don't understand. There's lots right now that you might not understand in your life that's hard to make sense of. Maybe you're wrestling with that right now, trying to make sense of things. And Jesus says to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times The dates, the disciples don't quite understand what Jesus' kingdom will look like or when it will come or how it will come to pass. Lots can be different from what we anticipate or hope or longed for or even expected. But we can be confident because Jesus is on the throne. And that means he's powerful to turn even those things in our lives we don't understand and find a bit confusing For good. He's at work in ways we cannot see and in ways we don't yet understand. I wonder if you're one of the disciples, which you would choose. You know, you could have the risen Jesus there with you, your close friend, empathizing, supporting shoulder to shoulder in the battles and joys of life, or Jesus ascended on the throne, you know, all power and authority, you know, just there ruling and reigning. Which would you choose if you had the option? I mean, I wonder what you would choose. I mean, I just want to imagine for a moment you're facing a real crisis this week. Maybe you've got a challenge this week. Maybe you don't have to imagine that. Maybe you are facing a real challenge this week. Imagine you had two options. You know, you need, you need some support. You need some help. Option one, you can have a, a, a close friend who's really nearby, who understands, who empathizes, who encourages, who's going to walk with you through that challenge. That's option one. Option two. Somebody you don't know that well, who's not that close, who's far away, but has influence to change the facts on the ground. What would you choose? Hands up for option one? Hands up for option two? Hands up if you don't like putting your hands up in church? Oh, quite. <laughs> but <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it? but what if you didn't have to choose? A little while ago, uh, pre-COVID, I was chatting to a friend. Let's call him Jay. Because that's his name, actually. And uh, I, I was saying to him, how are you doing? How's it going? And he was saying, yeah, it's good, actually. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, actually, I've got a huge day tomorrow. And I said, oh, what, what, what's going on? We're just at this party, relaxing. And he said, well, I've got, I've got to shoot off quite early because uh, tomorrow I've applied for a new job in this massive company. And tomorrow is like the interview day. And so the way it works is you have to be interviewed by a different person at every level of the organization. Seven different people. From the most junior to the most senior, back to back, and the last interview, the final interview of the day, is with the founder and the owner and the CEO of the entire company, and that's that's the last interview. And I was like, oh wow, um, that's quite intense. So I thought I better encourage my mate. So I was like, well, Jay, you know, you're really great at what you do. You know, you've really you've really grafted hard in that sector. I think you've probably got what it takes. Just go with confidence. You know, be yourself. You know, just try and make a good connection with the people in each interview. I'm sure it's going to go well. And he's like, oh, you know, thanks, Steve. You know, that's really kind. And uh, and then just as I was chatting to Jay, I saw another friend of mine walk behast, past him, behind him. And I suddenly remember that this other friend worked in the same sector as the company Jay was applying to. And so Jay didn't know him, but I said, oh, oh, hey, um, have you got any advice for Jay? He's, he's applying a job tomorrow and uh, he's got all these interviews it's in your area and the guy came around and he was like well, why what, what what are you doing and he said oh I've got all this interview data tomorrow. and he says "All oh, right, right what what company and he said this company and he said oh yeah 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 they're, they're great at what they do it's a really good company um do you know x and x was the founder and owner and CEO of the whole company and Jay like looks a bit wide-eyed he says no I don't know x he said oh okay um okay I I you don't know X? Okay, that's right, interesting, okay. And I said, no, but he's, he's being interviewed by X at the end of the like the seven interviews, and the last one is with X. He said, oh, oh, he said, let me text him for you. And he like pulled out his phone, and he's like, you okay? He's like, what's your name? Jay. Okay, Jay. Okay, so he starts texting, and he says, hi, X. Um, X isn't his real name, just in case you were wondering. Um, and uh, he, said, <laughs> he said, hi, uh, just met this guy called J. Jay. Uh, seems like a great guy to me. You're meeting him tomorrow. At what time? At four. You should give him a job. Boom. And Jay is like, he's like, is this good news? Is this bad news? Like what? And he's like sweating a little bit. And the guy was like, don't worry. I took him to the World Cup final. He owes me a favor. Hope it goes well. And he turns around and he just walks away. And Jay's like hyperventilating. But here's the thing. The next day, he goes into the office. He has all the interviews, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Then he comes in the seventh. Do you think he might have had a little bit more confidence knowing that someone has gone before him? Made a great connection with the guy. They had a good laugh about it. He did really well in the interview. He got the job. Now, I could offer comfort, reassurance, a couple of top tips from someone who knows nothing about the area. But the other guy... Who Jay didn't know that well could offer changing the facts on the ground. You know, which would you choose? What if you didn't have to choose? You see, with Jesus, you never have to choose. Jesus is on the throne, ruling and reigning, and yet he empathizes with everything you're facing. You see, Jesus' ascension doesn't mean his absence. It means his more powerful presence. Before the ascension, he could be in one place at one time. Now he can be present by his spirit with all who know him at the same time. He's close to all who invite him into their hearts. This is verse in, in, in John 20 when, when, when Jesus rises from the dead and Mary comes up to him. It's like she's clinging to him because she's so relieved he's here and she never wants him to leave again. And she grabs hold of him. And Jesus says to her, Mary, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. It doesn't make sense because you're like, Jesus, if you're about to leave, now's the time to get the hugs in. But it's almost as if Jesus would say, let go of my hand so I can come into your heart, so I can draw even closer to you. Jesus can empathize with you. He's your faithful friend. He's close in your moments of need when you're facing challenges. Because Jesus ascended to his heavenly throne, he's more powerful than you could ever imagine. And he's closer than you ever dared to hope. You have a close friend in the highest place. why it's fascinating at the start of the passage uh, that was just read. It says, in my my former book, Theophilus, in my former book, Theophilus, I, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up to heaven. You think, began to do and teach? He'd only begun what he was going to do and teach when he was taken up into heaven. Because sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, Jesus did the cross, he did the resurrection, and now he's had a long rest. Like, you know, what, is, what, is, what else is there to do? No, it's all he began to do and teach. He's only getting started. He's at work in this world. And the disciples expected to know the details. When, how are you at work? Give us clarity, Jesus, as to your strategic plan. But Jesus is at work in the world in ways we don't yet understand and we're completely unaware of. Jesus often does more behind our backs than he does in front of our faces. This very day, Jesus is at work in your life in ways you could never anticipate, you don't yet see, and this side of eternity you might not yet understand. He's not limited in any way. This very day, Jesus can draw close to you in Oxford, He can heal someone in Australia. He can give guidance to someone in Ghana. He can comfort an imprisoned pastor in Iran. He can be in the midst of a house church in China. He can be with you this week when you're with your small group in Marston, when you're at the school gates in Iffley, when you're present with your startup in Botley, when you're on the wards of the John Radcliffe comforting people who are sick. When you're coming alongside a pupil in your classroom who's struggling, in your company, with your friendships, right now Jesus is at work in the lives of thousands of millions of people on every continent, in every nation, people of every ethnicity, every social background. He's at work in your workplace, in your company, in your school, in your university, in your family. Really sense that there's someone uh, listening to this who has been almost questioning God over the last couple of weeks. How are you at work in my family? I can't see how you're at work in my family. Jesus is at work in your family, even though you can't see it. He's at work in your hospital, your office, this week, in the difficult conversations you're dreading, in that Zoom call you're not sure you want to have. He is at work. By the Spirit, he's closer to you than the person sitting two meters away from you, and he's more powerful than the most powerful person you've ever met. And you can face challenges with confidence because you have a close friend in the highest place. And then the second thing we see from the ascension from this passage is that you can be confident that your cry is heard. I don't know how you found this last year. One of the ways that I've kind of you know, tried to keep going this last year is I've got into this routine. I get up, get up early, I go for a little run, and as I'm running, I'm kind of pouring out to God, all my concerns and worries, the things that are on my mind, my hopes and my fears. And then at some point in that run, I'll find like a river or something and I'll just stop, take a moment and just try and pray and just listen to God and pray. And then I get home, make a cup of tea, read my Bible, pray. And that's made such a difference to me. It's kind of having this routine of kind of prayer and reading the Bible. But there are times in life where it's actually much harder. And I don't know if you've had the experience I've had at different times in my life where you're facing a challenge, you're facing a troubling situation and it sort of gets under your skin. You, you find actually you can't just brush it off. Maybe you find it hard to get to sleep or maybe you get to sleep and then you wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and you're looking around your room and, and suddenly it feels quite dark and you feel like you're on your own and you start to wonder, is it, is it actually going to be okay? You think, well, I should turn my worries into prayers. And you try to do that, but then you're like, I'm not sure anyone's listening. How can you be sure that your prayers, your worries, your fears, your cries are heard? Well, we've been looking at this passage so far from the disciples' perspective. They're called by Jesus to follow him. They did so. They were trained and taught by him. And then he dies, he rises, and then he ascends. He ascends away from them. But I just want to shift your perspective for a moment and think about this from another perspective. Jesus ascends from the disciples, but he ascends to the Father. Imagine God the Father. Jesus, your beloved child, your much-loved son, who's with the Father from before all time, who you gave to save the world, who lived a life of stunning beauty, he was always seeking to bring glory to your name, who was faithful to you when it cost everything, who was obedient even to death, who was forsaken so billions might be forgiven. Jesus, your beloved child, is coming home to be with you forever. Shifts things a bit. When I was um, 16, I got quite ill, and uh, I, I was getting worse and worse as the weeks went by, and the doctors to try and, treat me gave me some drugs and it just happened that very rare occurrence I had an allergic reaction to these drugs and so I, I got very very sick very quickly I had to be rushed into hospital and I still remember standing in A&E with my mum and slightly dramatically I turned to my mum and I said I think I'm going to die and um and then I collapsed on the floor <laughs> I just remember hearing my mum screaming help help you yeah, know my poor mum she puts up a lot and um And actually, there was an amazing consultant at the hospital who who managed to work out within a couple of days what was wrong and managed to kind of treat it. And so actually, in a way, she saved my life. And after a few weeks of recovering in hospital, I was able to go home. And my parents brought me home, and I went into the house. And they said, uh, would you like anything to eat, Steve? And I was like, yeah, 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 that'd be great. So I went into the kitchen, and I tell you, it was extraordinary. It was like birthday and Christmas rolled into one. Everywhere I looked, there was all my favorite foods. I opened up cupboards, like, wow, that's here. Wow, that's it. I opened up the fridge. It was fully stocked with all my favorite foods. I was like, this is amazing. And I was like walking around. And then they said, oh, do you want to rest? So I went up stairs to my bedroom. It was like one of those home makeover shows. You know, there's like a big reveal, and they open the door, and I walked in. My dad had built a new desk. He'd built a new bed. He'd built a new wardrobe. He'd completely redecorated the whole room, and I was like, mom and dad are being really nice to me. Like, it was so unnerving. I couldn't work out why, and, um, and they were like, are you okay? And looking back now, I could have asked for anything. Like, I feel like I could have asked for anything, and they would have got it for me, any present, any gift. It was like, and I didn't get it at the time. But of course I get it now. You see, they thought they'd lost me. They thought I might never come home. They thought I might never leave the kitchen a complete mess again. They thought I might never sleep in that bed again. They thought they'd lost me, but now they had me home. I'd come home. And the father did lose Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus ascends, he comes back home. And Jesus isn't just present in your heart by the Spirit. He carries you on his heart. He appears for us in the Father's presence on our behalf. He lives to make intercession for us, to pray for us. And when Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, he said, Father, if it's not possible, let this cup pass from me. Let it be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. The only time in all of history that the father had to refuse a prayer of Jesus's and the hands Jesus clasps in prayer as he intercedes for you still bear the marks of that time the father had to say no do you think the father is ever going to refuse Jesus anything ever again That's who's praying for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. He spent 30 years in obscurity. He spent three years in his earthly ministry. And so far, he spent 2,000 years interceding. He is praying for you. And if you could hear him, if you could hear how he prays, the tone of his voice, how much he knows, and how much he cares, if you could hear him pray, you would never forget it. Just the sound of his voice would be enough to fill your heart with courage and confidence for the rest of your life. But just because you can't hear it doesn't mean it's not happening. He is praying for you right now. Whatever you're facing, whether you're full of fear or full of hope, whether you're daunted or excited, whether you can't wait for the next challenge of life or you're still bruised from the last one, whether you're longing for a breakthrough or you're excited that all that is to be, Jesus is praying for you. But not only that, Through him, we can have confidence that our prayers are always heard. Jesus comes before the Father and he brings us with him. Tim Keller says the only person who would wake up a king at three o'clock in the morning is their child. Ask for a glass of water. We have that kind of access. If you've placed your trust in Jesus... You've been adopted as a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of the Most High God, and he bends his ear to hear your prayers. There's not a prayer you've prayed that he hasn't heard. And I felt that like this is a time for us, as a people who are passionate about what God wants to do in this church and this city, this is a time for us to pray bold prayers, to ask the Holy Spirit to grow our confidence that Jesus is Lord, that he is on the throne that he bends his ear to hear our prayer, to call out to him on behalf of our communities and our church and our city and our workplaces and our families and our friends, to hand over to him our hopes and our fears and say, Lord, we know one day you'll return. We know one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until that day, We're not going to waste a moment. We are going to pray. We are going to ask for you to move. We're going to trust that you would use even us in the strategic places you have planted us to be your witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit where you have called us to be that we might see your kingdom come here on earth as it is on heaven. I mean, look at the disciples. How could they worship and be joyful throughout all they were going to face? Thousands come to faith. They are confident because Jesus is on the throne and he prays for us. People are healed. They're confident because Jesus is on the throne and he prays for us. They're arrested and imprisoned. They're still confident because Jesus is on the throne and he prays for us. They testify before rulers. They're confident because Jesus is on the throne and he prays for us. Their plans fall apart and they are confident because Jesus is on the throne and he prays for us. What about us? Finding life confusing at the moment. Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. I'm longing to make a difference, but I feel inadequate. Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. I've got opportunities at work to to do something, but I feel a bit fearful. Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. I wish this area of my life was different. Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. I want to see the city transformed, but I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. I want to see a generation raised up with passion, For the name of Jesus, salt and light in their schools and universities, Jesus is on the throne and he prays for you. He's on the throne. He's praying for you. And he bends his ear to hear your prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.